0: be seated. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The sermon is based uh, on the gospel reading, Mark chapter 2, verses 16 to 18 particularly, which reads, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted, because they are no more. our text. When I was a pastor in Ohio, I had frequent conversations about faith with a guy named Brad, and Brad was married to Ellie, a member of my congregation. But Brad was not a member. Uh, That congregation was near a big Air Force base there, and we had a lot of Air Force members, um, or wives of Air Force members in this case. So Brad was a high-ranking officer in the Air Force and a very staunch skeptic to Christianity. But he loved to talk about it. He loved the conversation. He loved to challenge me to try to prove to him why he should believe in Jesus, why he should have faith. And of course, Ellie, his wife, hoped that I would come through and somehow convince Brad that uh, he should have faith and know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And in case I forget to bring it up, um, because Brad's not ultimately the point here of the sermon, uh, I never did convince Brad, and no human convinces another human, right? The Holy Spirit works faith. Um, He sort of landed on this, ultimately, this is a leap of faith and I'm not ready to take it, which is actually true, and that'd be a whole other sermon to talk about faith and reason and how faith is actually the highest form of reason. But um, in the meantime, if the Lord so moves you and it ever comes to your mind, pray for Brad that he would have faith in Jesus. But I'm bringing Brad up because in the course of our ongoing discussions, uh, he caught up with me after a Christmas Eve service one year and said, I finally figured it out why people like Christmas. And I said, really, why is that? And he said, because everyone loves a baby and the whole thing is just a happy event which means nothing at all. That it's just peace and happiness and togetherness and it really, if you think about it, doesn't mean much. It doesn't mean anything. Nobody gets threatened by a baby. And I said, well, possibly, except at the heart of the Christmas story, if we read Matthew's Christmas story, is a baby who poses such a threat to the most powerful man around him that this guy, Herod, kills a whole village full of other babies to try to get rid of him. And uh, that's an integral part of the Christmas story. Whether you're reading Matthew or Luke has the other Christmas story. And uh, there, um, uh, Simon in the temple says that this baby is bound to be the the cause, the rising and falling of many nations. And so uh, sword will pierce your own soul as well to Mary. So this uh, this is an integral part of the Christmas story that that uh it's not just a a a peaceful little baby and if you look at your bulletin cover today um just take a look there for a second and let's uh you know not pass it by too quickly it's really actually very disturbing if you take a look at what is happening there this is soldiers uh, a depiction uh, of soldiers coming in and killing every baby they can find two years old or younger Uh, And honestly, it goes to show that Christmas is God Himself coming to a pretty bad situation uh, to confront actual evil, and that that had actual consequences. Evil people actually slaughtered innocent children so that they could keep their power. And it's not like a matter of the Bible being a weird book that's not relatable, it's about the Bible saying, this situation was really bad, folks, that, that God came into, it was really a bad situation. These words are haunting. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentations. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. See, Rachel is this Old Testament, one of the wives of Jacob, who was later called Israel. And uh, she gave birth to only two children. And the second one, she gave birth near Bethlehem, a long time before David lived there and a long time before Jesus was born there. Rachel gave birth in Bethlehem and then she died. And so Rachel is the symbol of of deep grief. And and Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more, because there's actual evil. In fact, the shadow of the cross falls over the story of Christmas from this moment on. Jesus was born with a price on his head not long after he was born. Plots were hatched. Angels have to warn Joseph time and again. Even just reading the gospel a little while ago here, uh, I noticed how many dreams and visions Joseph had to have to get in the right place. And, and this guy, uh, um, who actually never talks, if you read the, the stories about uh, Jesus' birth, Joseph never actually is quoted as saying any words, but he sure gets talked to a lot and he uh, obeys them all. Uh, Joseph barely only just escaped from Bethlehem in time with the family. Herod the Great thought nothing of killing people. Uh, even members of his own family, he had his own wife killed when he thought that there was going to be uh, people scheming against him. He just wanted to be sure he had everybody covered, so he took out everybody. Um, When he himself was dying, which is referred to in the gospel text we read today, uh, the historical record outside the Bible says that um, he ordered that all the leading citizens of Jericho, near where he was dying, uh, should be slaughtered. They should be killed, so that when people came to his funeral, they'd still be sad and be crying, and that actually happened. Uh, This guy is terrible. Herod would not bat an eyelid at the thought of killing lots of babies in case one of them is a royal pretender. And as his power had increased, so did his paranoia, which is pretty typical if you don't have to read much history to find this. Dictators around the world have shown from that time until now uh, with increased power, increased paranoia, increased fear. So in the real Christmas story, Jesus was born in a land at a time of trouble and tension and violence and fear. Banish all thoughts of peaceful Christmas scenes. Before the Prince of Peace had learned to walk and talk, he was a homeless refugee with a price on his head. And at the same time, because that's all really devastating again, the picture on the cover is is just brutal. um, Even when things are at their darkest, we see in this Matthew reading that Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. Four different prophecies... We're pointed to in the gospel reading. And uh, this is how the world's redeemer was to appear. This is how God is going to begin freeing humanity and bringing justice to the whole world. So there's no point in him arriving in comfort when the whole world is in misery. There's no point in him having an easy life when the world suffers from violence and injustice. If he is Emmanuel, God with us, he has to be with us where the pain is, right? And that's what this chapter is about. And that's what Christmas is about. And uh, I observe that if you watch Christmas movies or the way that society presents Christmas, and I hope you don't mind me talking about Christmas. It's the ninth day of Christmas, so we're still in the Christmas season. So, um, But the, the way that the, the world and our society presents Christmas, and of course for the world it doesn't really have anything to do with Jesus, but if we're not careful, if we think about it, sometimes even for Christians, because we think of baby Jesus and gentle Mary, meek and mild, and all the peace and the silent night, I think that it can happen that Christmas becomes sort of this brand that means we come together, we show love and kindness and there's cheer and joy and it's just a day that we can celebrate happiness and love and togetherness and we certainly do, and we do that on Christmas, right? But, but it's a myth that that's all that Christmas is about. Uh, Christmas is about the problem of evil. That's what Christmas is about. It's about the problem of evil in the world. And here's what I mean. There's a lot of people in my life, just for example, who are really suffering. I have friends who have lost uh, their high school children to suicide. Many folks, myself included, have lost loved ones during the last couple of years from the COVID pandemic or situations that are caused by the pandemic, uh, changes in medical protocols, things like that. I lost my mom in the last in the last two years. Some of you out there have lost someone or you've got kids or grandkids who are making bad choices and breaking your heart or you've grown up with or are living with abuse in your home or you yourself struggle with a temper or maybe an addiction or things you really hope nobody finds out about or maybe you're having trouble paying the bills or you or someone you love has a diagnosis with an (laughs) illness that you're not quite sure how you're going to beat it. And, uh, you know, if you go around the world, like in one of the countries I visit frequently for Bible translation work, there's been a power struggle between the past and the current government that has killed and displaced thousands of vulnerable people that have no way to defend themselves, no recourse. They didn't have anything to do with the conflict, but they were just caught up in the violence and injustice of this world. In another place, people had to be moved off, or were moved off their land because the government found that where they lived, there were resources that could be mined, so they just... Picked them up and moved them. I didn't say take care of them. They just picked them up and moved them. Very unjust. Um, In another place, uh, pastors that we work with a couple of years ago at Christmas for sharing the gospel spent Christmas and the following two months in jail, trying to get out of jail uh, because they didn't have the right permits to gather, supposedly, didn't bribe the right people, maybe. I don't know, but they were a threat to their government. Meaning, again, there's just injustice and there's a lot of pain. And if we peel back the, the happy face we put on for work or church uh, and really just stop and dwell on where we are and how much it hurts sometimes, it's, it's really pretty overwhelming. And, and maybe you or someone you love is going through some unspeakable pain. And when you hear someone talk about the joy of Christmas, that's not really what you're feeling right now. That's not your reality right now or not their reality right now somebody it may be in your mind that you're praying for thinking about that I, I wanted to share the experience my own family went through a few Christmases ago in in September 2015 my father passed away unexpectedly and the last thing he and I had done together so this, this was not long after my family had moved back from Africa we moved then to Concordia Missouri because I work at Lutheran Bible Translators in their headquarters and so they live in Michigan And so the last thing we had done together was, I was at his house, we went online together and I helped him buy train tickets so they could make a trek down from Michigan to Concordia where we'd be spending our first Christmas together in our new home. And if you fast forward to December, uh, now my mom and my aunt were at our house for the Christmas season using those train tickets, but of course my dad wasn't there. Um, And... um, While they were there, my youngest sister, Rachel, had given birth to a son, Owen, very prematurely, in early December. And, you know, she was in Washington, D.C. area. They had fantastic medical care, state-of-the-art NICU, uh, intensive care unit, all the things, but little Owen only lived for 10 days. And I can still picture clearly my mom spending her first Christmas without my dad in my new home, where we had thought that this would be a season of joy, uh, getting the call from my sister and us finding out that little Owen didn't make it. And Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. It's actually very personal to me. And, and so the whole Christmas season was grief. It was dark, it was difficult. And so when I think about what the real meaning of Christmas is, the real meaning of Christmas is not just coming together to find some joy and cheer, When we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating God answering the problem of evil. In theological discussions, we call it the problem of evil or the problem of suffering because it causes a lot of people like Brad to question the goodness of God. If God is good and all-powerful, how can he allow suffering and, and the difficulties to happen? Or is he powerless to stop those things? And I like to look at it this way. When the Bible talks about God becoming flesh, or the incarnation, which is what happened at Christmas, right? You have God looking down at the suffering of people and taking on human flesh, stepping into his creation at this time, which is not a good time in history, and suffering alongside all of us, taking our place, taking our sin on himself, so ultimately one day he will end all suffering. In her book, Another gospel author, Alicia Childers, writes, When we are faced with immeasurable and unspeakable pain, we have a choice. We can open our hands to the Father and fall at His feet, or we can shake our fist at Him and walk away. And maybe you know someone that has made this choice, right? We can throw the raw magnitude of our doubts, questions, and piercing grief into God's hands, or we can gather it up into our clenched fists and declare God incompetent or non-existent. We all have that choice. The Apostle Peter wrote in the epistle reading we read today, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And only in the framework of the gospel. And that, those statements actually have any meaningful comfort? Only with a deep understanding of, of God's holiness and goodness and sovereignty could those words give any hope. Because evil and suffering are everywhere. Uh, they're the ugly realities released upon creation by sin. Whether I'm talking about someone's active evil or just any, any state of suffering that occurs is a result ultimately of sin in the world unleashed upon creation. But our Savior stepped into our world, took on human flesh, suffered and experienced death for us. And if you've ever stood before the dead body of someone that you love, you know that it's an awful experience. What you see, the look of death is awful. And you don't forget it. You don't forget what it looks like. And, And maybe it's weird or strange, but... I also think Jesus did that for me. Not killed the person or made them dead, but he himself at one time was a dead body and looked like this. And, and he did that for me. He did that for you. He did that for all of us. He knew grief. Jesus felt our pain and he died our death. If the story doesn't end there. As we know, he rose again and defeated the power of sin and death forever. He didn't just come to feel our pain. He came to end it. He didn't just give us an answer to suffering. He became the answer. And I long for the day when Revelation 21.4 will come to pass, He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. That is what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. The Apostle John wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate that the King of the universe was sent to suffer alongside of us, alongside those children in Bethlehem, alongside all who suffer any effective sin in this world, so that he can keep his promise to wipe away every tear from our eyes. As it says in Revelation, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. That is the promise that is given to you in your baptism. The promise that you said yes to in your confirmation. The promise that you grasped, and strengthen your faith when we take the Lord's Supper here at this altar. And if you're here today and you haven't grasped that promise and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you don't know peace with God now and forever, that is what Christmas is all about. And we'd love to talk with you about that. Talk with someone in your life who's Christian. Talk to the pastor here, the elders here. But this is why we celebrate Christmas, because of the hope. The hope that is is given to us and honestly... I don't know how anybody who doesn't have that hope can make it through this life and not just be hopeless. In fact, that's what happens, is most folks are hopeless. Look at the cover of your bulletin again. These innocent children in Bethlehem remind us that Christmas isn't just a day of cheer. It's not just a day of joy in itself or some brand. It is joyful, though, and it's not wrong. To be joyful and to be cheerful. But the reason why is because our Savior came in the world. He will end all suffering and pain. And in the meantime, he will walk with you through your grief and your suffering and your pain. And the fear you have or your doubt. And he'll give you strength and grace and peace that only can come from him. Now and forever. To Jesus be all glory. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.